welcome to our newest episode of the Lebanese Physicians uh, Podcast. And today our episode will be with Dr. Uh, Pascal Jabour, who is a distinguished professor of neurosurgery at Thomas Jefferson University. He's currently chief of division of neurovascular surgery at the university and is a pioneer in multiple endovascular uh, procedures, including uh, robotic endovascular surgery. In this episode, we'll be discussing with Dr. Jabour his background, how he got to Jefferson, how he has been able to establish his name in the neurovascular surgery world. And then we will discuss the research positions he is offering for Lebanese uh, medical students uh, in the United States. And finally, touch on his uh, wine experience as he's a wine connoisseur and has uh, a lot of experience in, in that field. Uh, welcome, Dr. Jabour, to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Khalil. It's a great honor and pleasure to be here with you. Uh, thank you. Thanks for being with us. And uh, so I just wanted to discuss first uh, a bit of your background uh, in yeah. Lebanon, your, your medical school, and then how you decided to go into neurosurgery afterwards. Yeah, so uh, I went to the St. Joseph Medical School uh, in Lebanon, graduated in 1998. Uh, neurosurgery was my first rotation as a medical student at the hospital at uh, Hotel Dieu. And uh, as soon as I did this rotation, I, I fell in love with the neurosurgery and I started comparing every specialty that I would rotate uh, on with neurosurgery. And then I realized that really this is what I wanted uh, to do. So when I finished medical school, uh, I took a residency position in neurosurgery at Hotel Dieu in, in Beirut, Lebanon. I did four years. And then usually you would do four or five years in Hotel Dieu, then you would go do a couple of years in France, and then they'll give you your diploma. So my dream was always to come to the U.S. and uh, try to do neurosurgery in the U.S. So I did four years, and then uh, I was introduced at, there was a, the MIMA at AUB, the conference, uh, yearly conference, there was a neurosurgeon of Lebanese origins, Dr. Isam Awad, uh, who was at that time the chairman of neurosurgery at University of Colorado. So I met him uh, in, at AUB at the conference, and I told him that I would like to come do an observership for a month. And this was like, I was a second year neurosurgery resident in, in Hotel Dieu. So when I finished my four years of residency, I asked the chairman, Dr. Nabila Ais at Hotel Dieu, I told him, if I go do two years in the U.S. instead of France, would you give me my diploma? He said, yes, no problem. So at that time, I got in touch with Dr. Awad. I went for a month and uh, did an observership. And then before I left, he offered me to come for a year, do a, just a residency. They used to call it pre-residency fellowship. Uh, this is because it was the 80-hour work week and they needed uh, bodies to work. So they opened those positions where you would go and you would perform like any neurosurgery resident, uh, but just for one year. So I took the position, I came and uh, I reapplied for residency at the end of this year. And then I restarted my residency all over again in the U.S. I, I matched in Colorado, uh, did two years, then I transferred my residency to Thomas Jefferson, finished it, did my fellowship, and stayed there, and the rest 
as history. <laughs> so you've been at Thomas Jefferson for a long time now, right? Yeah, since 2004, counting uh, residency and uh, fellowship. Right, and this is a big feat because it's very hard to get into neurosurgery as a foreign medical graduate in the, in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, it was challenging, but I was lucky because, as I said, I had uh, a Dr. Uh, Awad help me, and uh, and then uh, when I came to Jefferson, the, the the reason I decided to do a neurovascular is because the chairman, Dr. Rosenwasser, was a neurovascular specialist, and one time he took me to the INR suite. I was the junior resident and, you know, he told me, just put your lead on and grab in. And he started uh, taking me through an angiogram. And at that time I was like, wow, the chairman is showing me interest. I'm a junior resident he, and, and, and he's showing me the, how to do angiograms. I think that's what I'm going to do, neurovascular. So I went, I, I was a PGY3. I went right away and booked my fellowship for four years later. Four years later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, yes, yeah, so you did your fellowship in neurovascular surgery, and then you stayed in the field, obviously. So how did you, how did you uh, become a, a prominent figure in the field of neurovascular surgery? And so how was your pathway to achieving that? Uh, thank you. Uh, um, so... Uh, so yeah, it, it was an open and endovascular fellowship. So I do actually open and endovascular. Uh, I, I clip aneurysms, uh, I resect AVMs, I do carotid endarterectomies, and then I do coiling, I do mechanical thrombectomies for stroke. And, uh, and so uh, I, I was very excited by the field, especially that all the technological advancements that were happening. This is a field that was booming and is still booming, but really was booming 15 years ago. And they were, there was not a lot of neurosurgeons doing it because it was mainly a field for interventional neuroradiologists. So uh, being a neurosurgeon, uh, being able to do both open and endovascular was, was very attractive to me. And uh, my chairman, Dr. Rosenwasser, was the first neurosurgeon that was introduced to endovascular. So he introduced neurosurgery to the field. And... I was lucky to be at Jefferson, where we are a really high volume center. Uh, I had great mentors, and I started uh, in 2009. You know, we were uh, part of all the big trials. Uh, we we uh, had so many cases. We had the fellowship, so um, everything lined up. Uh, I was in the right place at the right moment. I had a great team. And uh, this is how it all started. Now, uh, again, I think uh, if, I, I, if uh, all those conditions didn't meet at the same time, I, I wouldn't have been where I am right now. So I was really lucky. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes you need the right, right mentors in the right conditions yeah. for yeah. things to fall into place uh, afterwards. And uh, so from, from what you were discussing together, I think, because you, you went through a... a uh, a process to be able to reach where you are right now. And I know that you're trying to help uh, students in Lebanon at this point, and you've established, I think, a research fellowship at Jefferson yes. with you. So can you tell us a bit about it? Yes. How yes. many so, students from Lebanon have you had and how people uh, can apply for it? Yeah. So, you know, it was so hard when I first came uh, to, to try to do my neurosurgery residency, as you already mentioned, it is very competitive uh, for, for international uh, medical students. 
And uh, I decided uh, that if I make it, I, I want to help a lot of other people to, to make it. So um, in 2000, uh, so I started as an attending in 2009. So in 2010, I started this position um, to, to get uh, medical students that are interested in neurosurgery to come for two or three years of research fellowship with me, postdoc, a paid position, because you know, you, anyone can offer just uh, positions and uh, no, no one can come and live one or two years without getting paid. So it is, it is challenging. So it was a paid position. And the goal was for those students to work with me for two or three years, and then I'll help them. So well, they'll, they'll publish papers, they'll get a good CV, and then I'll help, I'll make my phone calls uh, and then help them match into neurosurgery. So to be able to, to come and do this fellowship, you need to be interested in neurosurgery. Now, I can't help uh, everybody, but a lot of times I get people that get in touch with me. They are interested in other specialties. I, I cannot do that. It's just mainly neurosurgery, but this is where I can help them if it's neurosurgery. So I started this and uh, I had connections with all the deans of the med different medical schools in Lebanon. And I would get five to 10 applicants every year. Uh, those applicants have to come and spend a month with me so we can get to meet them. I would give them a little paper to write and then uh, I'll make my decision and choose one, uh, one, uh, one of those candidates for this position. My first research fellow now is an attending at the University of Florida. It's his second year as a neurosurgery attending. What's interesting is my first research fellow is the son of a professor at Hotel Dieu that taught me when I was a medical student. Uh, and since that time, I have been able to place every single research fellow of mine in a neurosurgery residency program. So th those guys are hard worker. I mean, they come here and they work really hard. And to give you an example, like they spent a couple of years, they publish average 40 to 50 papers during those two years. So they become very, very competitive. And with, with some phone calls and everything, they got, start getting interviews and, you know, they, they match. So it, it's really rewarding to me to see that I'm able to make a difference and I'm, I'm able to help uh, you know, all those uh, medical students, uh, because I always remember how, how much it was hard for me. If it wasn't the help of other people, I wouldn't have made it. So basically people would contact you and they would come for a one month elective. Yes. And depending on how they perform compared to others, you would make a choice of who's going to be your research fellow for the next year. That's right. That's right. And then uh, sometimes I try uh, it depends. Uh, sometimes they would do two years with me, then they would do a year of clinic pre-residency fellowship somewhere else. So they can combine the research experience and the clinical experience. And then after that, they will go and apply for uh, residency. I mean, in neurosurgery, it's very important uh, to take, take their time to apply because once you have the stamp of you didn't match, it will follow you. Uh, each time you, you, you reapply. I have sometimes people that would come and say, well, we're going to apply at the end of the first year. I say, absolutely not, because at the end of the first year, you didn't have time to, to, to publish. You didn't have time to, to have your papers on PubMed and everything. So that's why at least two years. And uh, once they, they apply and they don't match, it's going to be really hard 
for them to match on a second round. So. Yeah, right, because that's going to follow them afterwards. And I think your most recent research fellow is from LAU, right? My my most recent research fellow is from LAU. He is now a second year resident at University of Chicago. Okay. And now I have uh, I have uh, a fellow from AUB. He's applying now, and uh, already he got uh, ten interviews so far. I have a fellow from LA from LAU that's going to apply next year. Right, your fellow from LAU, I worked with him when I was there, so I see his uh, posts on LinkedIn sometimes with you. So uh, The one that's with me now or the one that's already at University The one who's Chicago? with you now, actually. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, and so what, what's your, so before we go to your passion in the field, so what's your advice, I guess, since we discussed, what's your advice for uh, people who are applying for neurosurgery? You gave us some advice now, but what's your advice on how they can get a position if they yeah. can get a fellowship with you, I guess? Yeah. So, so first of all, I want to say that they should they shouldn't be discouraged. Like you know, we've been there and you've been there, and you know, sometimes people that would discourage you and tell you you can never make it. It's so hard. It's well, I mean, you need to take a risk, and if you really are, you are passionate about something, you need to try. You won't know that you're gonna fail un unless you try. And uh, again, when I told my friends in Lebanon, I'm gonna go try to do neurosurgery residency in the US, I can't tell you how many started laughing at me, say, okay, good luck, we'll see you next year, you'll be back. And uh, so uh, they should not count years. That's the most important thing. Don't count years. If you want to do it, you're gonna, uh, you'll ended up doing it, but don't count years. You need to take all the time needed to be able to do it. Now you need to, of course, work hard, very hard, and you need to have good grades on the, on, on the USMLE, the step one and step two, because uh, those, those are the first screening, the first screening process for, for residency applicants, right? I mean, we, we look and for neurosurgery, we have a certain score where below it, we, we wouldn't interview people. So very important for them to take their time to study. I usually would take research fellows that already passed their step one, step two, uh, they need to have like really competitive grades because it's, it's, it doesn't make sense to do all this work, but they, without the, the competitive grades to be able to, to be good candidates. And then at the same time, I'm not, I don't want a research fellow that would come and spend two years studying for the step one, step two. It, they will waste their year uh, or two uh, instead of publishing. So that's why uh, wh wherever they come from, which country they come from, take their time before coming to study real, real well, to take, to have good grades on the step one, step two, really competitive scores. Um, and then, uh, you know, they need to, as I said, to take a risk and go and go in. It's uh, the, the future won't be like all clear in front of them. It's going to be, it's going to be, you know what, I know what's going to happen the coming six months. I'm going to embark in this and then we'll take it. We'll see, because it's not like, uh, somebody's gonna promise them. It's like, okay, I promise you, in three years you're gonna you're gonna <coughs> do a residency, or we're gonna find you a spot. So you need to be able to take some risks and accept to take some risk. But at the end, it's it is rewarding. I mean, one of my fellows really was a neurosurgery resident in Lebanon. Uh, left residency. Uh, at the end of the fifth year, and they didn't want to give him any any 
diploma because he left even uh, so so he really took the risk that if he didn't match in neurosurgery he would have done five years and that's it and they didn't want him to go back they told him you left that's it you're not coming back so those five years would have been gone you know right and then he made it so basically it, it is it is basically hard work uh, uh, research and establishing connections uh-huh. with people to to get in. Yeah, sure. yeah. Taking yeah. the risk, obviously, but like everything else in life, I think you just need to take a risk. And, uh, that's right. Yeah, and if you don't make a move, no one's gonna fly to your home country and give you on a <laughs> silver plate yeah. a, a residency on. position, right? Or if you're gonna listen to the rumors and all the stories, like oh, you won't be able to do it, and and this and that. Yeah, you you won't be able to do it. Right. So. Uh, as I said, I mean, really, I mean, this is this has been really like uh, the the one of the joys of my existence. Working with those people, seeing the the joy, the happiness when they when when they match, seeing like how uh, all this hard work is rewarded, you know, at the end, and they are all grateful. And really, I mean, sometimes they ask me like, what what's your legacy? What do you think you've contributed and stuff? Uh, I never answer about neurosurgery. I say, those guys are my legacy. I mean, if I contributed something, is I contributed in shaping the future of someone who deserves it, that's my legacy. And that's what I'm most proud of. Right. And, and it's been hard, actually. It's, this is a very good position for people because it's been hard for people from Lebanon to find yeah. paid research positions these days in the U.S. to do their like research fellowships, especially with the financial crisis in the country right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what, what I mean, you've been in the field for a long time now. So how, how do you maintain your passion, I guess, in the field, right? Because you're doing it day in, day out for many yeah. years. How do you maintain your passion in the field? So, uh, you know, I, I'm lucky I'm in a subspecialty where, as I said, there's a disruptive innovation every day. I mean, in endovascular and neuroendovascular, new devices, uh, you know, new new technologies coming up. So it, it keeps you on, 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 your, on the edge all the time. It keeps you excited about the field. We're part of all the trials, new devices. We help companies uh, uh, improve and, and develop devices. So... It's been really exciting. Uh, the, the, the field has been really exciting. It's a good time to be in neurovascular in this field, really. The last 10 years have been great. And if you don't love what you do, like you can never, no one will make push you to wake up at 2 a.m. to go do a stroke or, or things like that. You can't, you can't do this for, for, for a long time. So you have to really love your field. And uh, as I said, maybe if I was in a different subspecialty, Without all those technological innovations, uh, maybe I would have uh, lost really the passion or the interest. But in neurovascular, every day is something different. So it's hard not to love it or, or, or be passionate about it. Right, exactly. There's a lot of innovation uh, in the field every yeah. day. And so what are you, I mean, you're, you're, you're big in neurosurgery and in the field. So what are what is what is what are some of your major hobbies outside of the neurosurgery field? I mean, I'm, I read something about your interest <laughs> in wine. <laughs> so yeah, this is uh, one of my hobbies. Uh, I actually went to wine school. Decided uh, I always liked wine, and uh, I I was a wine collector. But I wanted to really get to the science of it, and I wanted to 
get uh, you know go to school and get a diploma and then i decided to embark in the journey of becoming a certified sommelier so so i went to wine school i was going at night uh, courses were uh, like after 8 p.m um, and i uh, did it all the way to a level four sommelier so there are five levels and the highest level is master sommelier i'm not a master but i'm a level four sommelier I think it's really important to have some uh, some hobbies in life and to be able to decompress. What we do is uh, something that uh, really can take can drain you and uh, takes a lot of energy from you. So once you get outside the hospital, uh, you really need to be able to uh, recharge, and uh, you can do it different ways. And you know, I I decided to do that. So. Uh, I studied winemaking also. I'm, I'm a winemaker and I make wine. And uh, this has been a great uh, journey and uh, I've been enjoying it. So uh, I encourage everyone with a passion to, to, to follow it and to try to follow some hobbies outside their uh, professional field because really time, time goes really quickly. I still remember when I was a resident as if it was yesterday. I mean, my kids now, my son is in second year of college i still can't understand how this happened <laughs> i mean really so you know bucket lists uh, i have and my opinion about bucket lists you know people get bucket lists because they think they have time but in reality you don't have time and bucket lists are are, are meaningless because especially in my in my specialty we we see people with ruptured aneurysms young people with stroke well, those, they had a bucket list the night before this aneurysm rupture because they thought they had, they had the time, but here it is now, you know. So I always tell my residents, don't keep a bucket list. You want to do something, just do it, you know, just do it and enjoy it and, and you know, you will figure it out. So, Right, yeah. exactly. Because that, that's what I always tell people to myself. Like, you don't, some people say, I'm going to wait till retirement to do this. Or yeah. do that. Like, you don't know that you're going to reach retirement. That's the problem. That's right. Exactly. Yes. And if you reach it, you don't know that you're going to be strong yeah. enough to do whatever yeah. you want to do. So, yeah. so two, two more questions about the wine world. So, what kind of wines are you making right now? What kind of grapes are you? Uh, so, we're actually making uh, wine with, uh, uh, with, uh, in Bordeaux with Chateau Lynch Bage. So, we're making Bordeaux blends. We've made three vintages so far, and uh, it's been a great experience working with winemakers from a famous chateau like Lynch Bage in, in Bordeaux. And uh, uh, practically, we, we make three different types. We make a type that we call it left bank. It means the majority is Cabernet Sauvignon with, with a little bit of Merlot, a little bit of Cabernet Franc. We make a right bank, which is mainly Merlot and a little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon. And we make one that's mainly Cabernet Franc. So those are the different styles of wine of Bordeaux. Uh, and uh, But the, the only thing is uh, we still don't know the real result of what we've done because Bordeaux wines need to be aged real, real long. And our uh, oldest vintage is 2018. So it's still considered a baby for Bordeaux. Uh, as compared to, for example, Californian cabs, where they are made to be enjoyed young and they are all fruit forward and you can enjoy them young. So the Bordeaux wines need to be um, aged. But the whole process has been a great experience and uh, uh, really pleasurable. 
Excellent. So how many, how many years would we have to wait to, to know the success of your wines? Uh, maybe we'll, we'll make a podcast in five years. I'll give you an <laughs> update. <laughs> yeah, we'll wait for that. And uh, so any, any final words of wisdom or advice that you want to give us before we end the podcast? Yeah, I think I I, I think pe- people really and a lot of people realize that that uh, you know once you have a goal in life and you reach your goal, uh, sometimes it's hard to uh, try to move and try to help other people reach their goal. I think it's very important to uh, really uh, understand life and understand you know generations and understand that uh, you know. Every person gets their prime 10, 15 years, let's say. But then it's not all about you at a certain point. It should be about something else that's more durable, right? If if you start taking care of the young generation, if you start mentoring people, and those people will mentor uh, other people and that would do the same thing that what you did with them, this is, you would create something really great and this is, those are accomplishments that last. Accomplishments that you do yourself and it's all about what you did can be great. You can, you know, describe a new technique. You can publish a great paper, but, and then five, 10 years later, no one's going to talk about it anymore. So create a lineage. Once you create a lineage, once you do that, I think that's the, the best thing you can do. So always look for young people to try to help them and mentor them because there are so many young people that have everything needed to succeed. But one thing they don't have is the good opportunity and the good mentorship. If you provide the, those two things, they're going to thrive. Right, right. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Jabour, for being on the podcast, for helping a lot of the students in, uh, in Lebanon. And we will tell students, I guess, anybody who's interested in neurosurgery probably should be contacting you to see. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm on social media. uh, I get, they can uh, get in touch with me on any social media platform. uh, They can email me. And um, uh, thank you, Khalil, very much uh, for this uh, invitation. It was a great pleasure and honor to be with you. Of course. Thank you for being on the podcast.